Scripture is in part what we do. It is also the meaning we make on the stories we tell about who we are and where we're going. It's built through our experimentation towards our values. And it's an invitation, a process through which we change. A new vision for a world more just requires spaces for each of us to practice who we will be now. In today's episode, Phil Agnew talks cultural work and the process of transforming masculinity and maleness away from domination and exploitation. Phil Agnew is an educator, strategist, writer, trainer, and cultural critic. He co-founded Dream Defenders in 2012 and was a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders on his most recent campaign. And at present, he's an organizer with Black Men Build. Phil and I had a full conversation on leadership, culture, and patriarchy, and it was a tender and revealing exchange. I hope you enjoy the episode. So Phil Agnew, I just want to say that I am really, really grateful that you're here. You know, we've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time, so it just feels like a gift that you're here and that you're helping us kind of round out this season. But thank you, first and foremost, for saying yes to being in this conversation. We're grateful. I'm deeply appreciative. Everything, like you said, in its due time, and I, I do feel more ready than I maybe was when you all asked to be in dialogue, <laughs> you know, so I'm excited. I'm really excited. Thank you for saying yes. Um, you know, I think about you as one of the most, from my perspective, one of the most poetic, yes, but also galvanizing voices of our generation and this iteration of movement. You have a way of speaking, but also um it's kind of extending your heart out through your words, what you care about through your words. And um, that's really why I wanted you to be here to just take us into that space a little bit. But I wanted to ask you the first question that we start off every podcast with is a question about lo- location, helping us kind of figure out where we are. We're trying to assemble voices that we feel like have some idea, some indication, some premonition about where we might go from here. And so I want to ask you, Phil, how would you describe where we are when you look around? What, what do you see? That's a really, really good question. I feel confused about it often. Um, I, I feel confused about my place in it. Uh, I, you know, not to over-personalize it, <laughs> but uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a few few days ago and I don't know that something happened. I don't know when it happened. And it's not just about me being old or older. I'm turning 36 in, in 11 days. But it's uh, something happened with time. And, and it, sped, it, it feels like it sped mm-hmm. up really, really quickly. I've heard, uh, I've heard people talk about something they did last year as if it was a decade yeah. ago. And so I, I don't know when it happened, but I just felt like I, I've lost track of time a little bit. Um, but, but really to answer your question, it feels to me that we're in a time of very, very rapid, rapid transitions and they're happening. New normals are happening every single day. That's what I feel. And it's hard to keep up with. It's exciting. It's exhilarating, but every day there's a, there's a new, there's a new word to factor in. There's a new, uh, identity, new way of being, um, that 
is being explored and being popularized. And uh, we're in late stage capitalism as people living in the United States within an empire in decay rapidly seeking to these little death lurches, like seeking to find ways to survive really, really quickly by if you if you look at the American story, the capitalist story as a tapestry, it is ripping mm -hmm. like, you know, every day a new rip is happening. And the United States mm -hmm. is trying to sew it up super quick. Like, hey, no, 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 no. Look, mm -hmm. you can still buy things. Like, look, yo, look, you <laughs> could, you can still go to nice restaurants. <laughs> like, the world isn't over. You know, you, yeah, you have to deliver. You have to sell your car and deliver things all day and blah blah blah. But the world isn't over, and another tear happens. And it just, to me, um, I don't know if it's making sense, but to me, this time that we're in feels like a, a rapid. Mm. rapid transformational time on a daily basis it is uh it is it's very unsettling a little bit to try to get your bearings and that's what i think the importance of movement people are you know revolutionaries are supposed to know what time it is all the time and so while those tears are happening and there's a lot of confusion men are like wait you know what uh, like wait what <laughs> you know like what 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 do you mean? I thought it was like this, you know, white people, you know, and they're they're you know going through their thing and 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 mm -hmm, all identities mm -hmm. are like whoa, you know, what is happening? Movement people have to be able to keep those tears in the tapestry wide open and start to sew up a kind of new reality. Um, and so I don't know. I feel that was rambly and going around, but I just feel the time, the moment we're in is moving very rapidly. Transitions are happening and. Everybody is scrambling to find answers to these new questions every day so that we can return to some semblance of normalcy or quote unquote normalcy, but it's just not going to happen. It's not happening. That's a beautiful metaphor. It, it helps me a lot to see it that way, to see those rips, because I think many of us can be like, oh, yeah, I can see those rips and tears in places where I didn't expect them um, or places that have long been needing to rip. Are being ripped so that that metaphor is really helpful for me you know i've been thinking about this question a lot um you know i do embodiment work i do trauma healing work and fundamentally i think we we are all holding similar questions no matter what we call our work or what our work is but the question that i feel like i'm holding often is how do we change and you talk about movement folks kind of sewing a new reality, really remaking the tapestry, you know, taking what we're learning from these rips and tears and creating something. And this acceleration that you're talking about of both crisis and learning and opportunity, but the acceleration itself is happening too. The question I'm often in, and I'll just say also, I'm kind of asking this question, we're kind of assessing what happened and what didn't happen, what were the commitments made to racial justice, what panned out, what didn't. Um, but I'm in this question a lot of how do we actually change to realize that world or to become those people that can create that world? Or, or how do you think about that question? Change, transformation, um, on the level of people? How do we do that work? How have you done that work? 
so I have two thoughts on it that I have pers- I, I like to really talk about what I've seen happen and work. Mm-hmm. And the two are not distant from one another, but a little bit different. So on first, I think it's a granular level. The change that I'm trying to be a part of, particularly amongst the brothers who are engaging with Black Men Build, is very interpersonal. Um, it's not, this isn't a politic, this is like a very pragmatic thing. I believe that most brothers that I've come in contact with really do appreciate being pulled to the side more than they appreciate um, a public lashing. And um, that has been, over the last year, one of the most powerful things that I've been a part of because I I am a conflict-averse person. And um, even though I'm in the movement, you know, I do find ways to avoid conflict pretty often in my personal life. And uh, I was I had become a very liberal person uh, about everything. And in the last year, the change I've seen happen has been when I pushed through that and I said, yo, bro, you had said this yesterday, man. And man, I don't even we we don't even talk like that no more. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you know, like. And 100% of the time, 100, you know, 10 for 10, brothers like, yo, I appreciate you coming to me. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know what, I felt a little bit weird about that. Or I seen you looking or mm-hmm. something like that. And so the change that I'm seeking where men are able, people who identify as men are able to rewire their, their brains their hearts, their souls, their spirits, their language, their eyes, their parts mm-hmm. is like super, super personal and in circle and in one to one. It is not. I want to be a part of mass. You know, I still have fantasies or if you want to call them that dreams of, you know, being amongst, you know, 200, 300,000 people storming something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still have that. Maybe it's very masculine. I still have that like, yo. I want to ride, you know, I still have that. And um, I don't I know fundamentally we're not going to get there without a whole bunch of small conversations with people and sticking with it. Like I had that talk with you, you know, like two weeks ago, man, you, you know, you still let's talk about it because you still you know, you're still not getting it. Um, The other thing that's kind of on the other side is this thing that I've been toying around with called, well, not called anything, but I've been saying it's evolving in public (laughs) and like a real big evolution in public and being really, really transparent because I have been maybe blessed and cursed with a public persona, being able to, as often as I can be like, yo, you know, when I joined the movement, all I cared about was racism. I still wanted I still wanted to get money. Um, I told my youngest brother when he came out to me that he couldn't even move in with me, you know, and I'm like, I didn't care about nothing. I wasn't political at all, you know, and the people that I look up to the most are people who are able to say, this is where I came from. Hmm. I understand what I understand what you're thinking, bro, because I grew up just like that. You know, and I'm I'm speaking in terms of bruh, et cetera, because I'm thinking about like my conversations over the last year with with with, with people. And um, but I think it goes across the board. So I would say that change for me is on a granular level. And then if you're afforded a gift of being able to be somebody that other people look up to or look to or you're visible, you should 
honor that gift by just being e- evolving as much as possible. You know, even I changed my name and I laugh I about that. it now. But, you know, <laughs> you know, my, my niggas was like when I went back to feel a lot of it was like, yo, I'm glad you, you went back. I ain't never changed your name in my phone. But <laughs> they called me they called me the new name when they yeah, saw me, yeah. you know, and um, so um, just different elements of being able to say, I don't I am this person now. I was that person to you. Now I am this person in public is helpful and it creates space for the little convos too. I was going to ask you about that phrase evolving in public. Cause I've seen you talk about that or, or I think you share that on your kind of Instagram handle. And I think there's something, I mean, what you're saying in it just feels like a, a subtle intervention in and of itself that it is a powerful thing to be changing and be witnessed in our changing too. And that, it, that seems to be, I don't want to say missing, but not as central to how our movements or really anything is operating at this moment. Like, is it safe enough for us to change and be witnessed in that change at the same time? We don't have to privately transform and get it right, but we can say, y'all, I'm a work in progress, but I'm, mm-hmm. but I'm moving in a direction. Mm-hmm but I'm moving in a direction. I'm working it out. Mm-hmm. How did, how did you get there? Or how did that come to you? There was a point when dream defenders first started and you know, I have a cadence. Yes, you do. Yes. You, you do. know, I talk like a preacher, you know, and, Amen. Right, <laughs> right. Right. And I couldn't get away from that. And, um, that was attractive to cameras and mm-hmm. I went to fam right, you right. and you know, we know how to talk, man. We was, we just knew how to talk. And so, you know, not to be dismissive of of what the gift that I have, you know, cameras was on us. And there was a point that I just got entirely overwhelmed with what I felt or perceived to be the pressure on me to become this. uh, You know, there was a sister, well-meaning, who who wrote an article about me, not interviewing me or anything, but calling me the next Madiba Uh at one time. You know, my friends love that. But I, I just got to a point where I was like, that's not me. You know, and um, and I became a recluse and didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to be public. I didn't. And um, within my organization, Dream Defenders at the time, there became a conflict with this popularity that I had. Right. How it helped to grow the organization, fundraise for the organization, et cetera. And then how it hurt the internal dynamics of the organization. Hmm. And um, it was a confusing time for me where, um, and and to be precise, straight black male leadership talking and all of that wasn't, it wasn't the wave, you know, um, at at, at that moment as well. You know, I kind of ran into, maybe not me personally, but the times shifted. And so I just felt very confused about how could I be helpful to the movement with my particular set of skills, not just talking, but my organizing skills, et cetera. And it became really apparent to me that the only way that I could accept having a camera or a microphone in my face is if I was using that as an opportunity to frankly tear down the enterprise of Mm -hmm. celebrity or popularism. So every time I, I needed to humanize myself, I felt like I was, I felt like I needed to 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 do everything that I could to make sure that anybody that saw me 
didn't see me as anything but a human being who was no different than them, mm. who was no better than them, who was definitely not smarter than them. You know, I was picking up learning words, man. I, I said so much stupid stuff in meetings before. Charlene got a story, <laughs> man. It's, I said so much stupid stuff, man, in these meetings. And I'm, I didn't know what I was talking about. And I also witnessed so many of my friends come up to me and say, man, I love, I love what you're doing, man. How, how can I get where you at? So I, I would say I, I went through a whole bunch of personal transformations. I was um, in a five-year relationship with an incredible um, woman who, who was challenging me and making me better and, make, and bringing me more closely in touch with my interior world. And I wanted people to know about it. I did quickly, you know, you get a little bit of affirmation yeah. in your DMs, right? Yeah. From brothers, you know, from other people like, yo, I'm so glad you did that. And that created more space for me to say, okay, this is the lane for me. If I'm going to be out there, I'm going to be public. I need to make sure that people know that I'm a human being, that I'm not perfect, that I'm still learning, that I still have a long ways to go, but that that is the journey. The meta, the, the transformation is the process and not the product. Mm. It has me thinking so much about leadership in this moment. And you know, I'm often thinking when, when we start to see leadership and vulnerability or evolving in public, as you're talking about, that, that to me represents a whole different paradigm for like, oh, there's, there's leadership in, mm-hmm. in showing myself. There's leadership in showing my heart and not a leadership or not only leadership or maybe not, I don't actually think it's the appropriate leadership for this moment, a kind of certainty, a certain leadership, a false promises leadership. But um, Mm -hmm. this kind of leadership that you're talking about that can reveal is serious, is studied, is focused, is a crass person of whatever they're doing, but is also revealing of where, I don't know, or I'm trying here, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure it out and I need you to help me get there. That's a mm-hmm. whole other, mm-hmm. I hope that's where we're going. I hope that's where things are headed. Our movement should create opportunities for questions. We, we, you know, that's what the quote unquote great democracies of the world, it was the demos. It was people coming together to ask questions of the day. And so if you are seen as a visible leader, you need to be seen as a person who asks questions or who is curious about the moment and is curious about everything, really. And so um, mm-hmm. I'm always, I grew up in church, but I'm always leery of a leader who has all the answers for you, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that's, 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 that's destruction. Hmm. I want to talk about Black Men Build. I want you to tell us what the project is, but I also want you to, in a way that works for you, kind of take us inside. What, what, is, what is becoming possible? What is blossoming? Um, in these spaces that you all are creating? So we started Black Men Build because women identified people within the movement approached myself and some other brothers about a few things, in particular about cisgender men not being involved at the level of many other identities in their reflection to a a level and a, a question as to why. And it was also a wondering in the age of Trump whether we collectively were mm-hmm. standing on the precipice of losing black men to the right. So there was an initial question, a, a, a wondering pose to myself and some other brothers. 
we had a meeting and we had a meeting in Miami in December of 2019. Myself, uh, Tef Poe, once I start listing names, I forget names, but me and a bunch of other brothers, I was not the only or the main. And we started to have conversations. Mm -hmm. Many of us had and have critiques of how we all have built a movement together, how insular in many ways we've all become, how smart we've all become, how comfortable we've all become. And I say we, um, as a person who's a part of that, was and, mm -hmm. and in many ways is a part of that, how distant we mm -hmm. all had become from folks. So we said, hey, you know, we've been sent on a mission, right? by our comrades and that mission is what can we do to bring black men into closer relationship with the movement hmm. I'm doing air quotes for y'all the movement and we we said okay we've got it's now january 2020 we've got a few months before this election and whether folks that are listening think electoral and elections are important i think we could all agree that 2020 felt to some degree important to most people and we've got these brothers who want to do something. Let's develop something that could bring brothers together yeah. to have conversations about the importance of this political moment and maybe engage in this political moment as an organized force. And so Black Men Build in January of 2020 is something we're calling a place where Black men can come and engage this country as an organized force. We created a video we put the video out online the video if people saw it in with within and without the movement saw a very mask you know it was a very masculine like listen brothers we need to come together you know we had a dope beat by damon davis we had yeah. a voiceover by by glc out of <laughs> chicago we had imagery that was strong it showed a fullness of black masculinity I, I we we made sure to do that but when you left that video you left that video like yo i want to get down with black men bill we had a mass call in june of 2020 a year ago and very quickly in the chat brothers were saying how can i join how can i join how can i join and we said you know we, we, this is something that has a sunset on it you know is what we thought hmm. um I, I neglected to mention but it's it's there COVID happens and mm -hmm. in the middle of us talking about this project and then in really rapid succession from that June mass meeting black men bill a place to engage this country as an organized force for black men brothers who are helped to put this thing together brothers who are starting to come around together around it are breaking up with their partners, hmm. um, are getting divorces from their partners, are in the house for long periods of time crying, are hmm. feeling depressed, are hmm. feeling confused. Brothers are in various states of disrepair. And Black Men Build by July, August, where we commemorate Black August, where we're fasting together, we decide that we're going to go all in on Black August. We're still this place for Black men to engage this country in a political way. By August, we decide, hey, why don't we do this fast every day for Black August? And brothers are depressed and crying and going through a number of transformations. And some, you know, brothers had to move in with me and mm. Uh, mm. and 
not not quickly, but also not slowly, Black Menville starts to become this refuge for 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 us. And we're not just talking about, yo, what's going to happen in November? We're talking about, hey, man, like, I don't know if I've ever felt love in my life before. Mm. I don't even know if I've given love in my life. I don't know if somebody came and gave me love, if I could recognize mm. it, and if I recognize it, if I could receive it. And, and we're having mass meetings, and we still have every month with an average of 400 brothers from around the country. And we're having political conversations but brothers are in the chat saying maybe one brother get on and say some real weird foul stuff about trans people or something and brothers in the chat 400 brothers not you know we put out a video that was not a, a m for va you know we didn't put out a we put out a video so we got hebrew israelites on the call we got boom boom yeah, boom yeah, yeah. and brothers yeah. in the chat are saying yo we don't talk like this we don't we don't mm. talk like this and, and black mm. men, oh, you heard the rules. Hey, brothers, I, I, I just want to say thank you for creating this space. I needed this. Yo, I'm going through, and by August, September, I'm getting goosebumps. By August, September, Black Men Build is now, we're having men's circles, right, in Miami and in Houston. And Black Men Build starts to evolve. And now we're saying, and we're currently saying, Black Men Build is a place to organize and transform black men, right? And we're having legitimate conversations. Now, are we the model um, for a, 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 the product is, the process is in, in, in play. We're, we're engaging with brothers who, because of economic, issues because of personal issues are involved in violence in their home right the perpetuators of violence etc and so where we are now is black men build is a place for black men to come to be organized and to be transformed we have a set of principles we've had over 3,000 brothers sign on to the principles those principles are we are critical thinkers we are curious about this moment and how it is affecting us, our families, and our communities. We are coming together to play an active and responsible role in fighting mistreatment and misinformation in our communities. We are bonded with black women and all black people who are fighting for the liberation of black people. There is no leader, there is no victory, there is no movement without the leadership of black women. All black, we are not rooting for everybody black. Black people who choose to use our movement for personal benefit need not apply right and we put out a value statement and 3,000 brothers signed on we had a membership uh, uh interest meeting three months ago with 600 brothers on it we had a membership orientation just uh one one week ago saturday with 150 brothers on it we have chapters being built and the goal is by the end of the year to have 300 brothers who are in the process of both political but personal transformation, who are understand the transformative power of love and vulnerability to the movement, the strength in that in the movement. Mm. Oh, I forgot mm. about the dang mm. one of the most important values. We are not the images of manhood sold to us by the Europeans, right? And we chose our wording. We we chose all of every word we chose precisely as you know you could call them dog whistles, etc. But 
we 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 believe that black men must transform to meet the moment and we are entitled to being full human beings that love that laugh that joke around and that we have to get mm. the year like tango my boy tango he said we got to get the romans out our mind you know and so that, that that's where we are now it's a crucible place a refuge a shelter but a fortifying place where we're challenging and do we do it a hundred percent of the time probably not but i do know i've been party and witness to brothers being like yo i didn't even know you know like bro i want to know you know and i think going to your first question i'm sorry so long-winded going to your first question men too men you know cisgendered men too are recognizing that the old ways of being are untenable mm -hmm. are unsustainable are deadly and what right. the capitalist right. system is doing is saying no you double down on that shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not working because you're not going hard enough right. you're allowing that soft shit, that Dwayne Wade shit that 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 bullshit into your that CRT now into your you know into and they're saying double down and so we want to stand as the alternative right to that double down and say no there is another way it is mm -hmm. undefined but that's the fun part mm-hmm mm -hmm. I love that I love that you said that's the fun part because it's it's the fun and the hard and the beauty and the struggle and all that what you're saying takes me back to some questions I want to ask you about culture, cultural work. Because what you're talking about of having questions in the common space, these things that help us create a new reality, we get to infuse meaning by asking questions and answering them together instead of meaning being kind of imposed onto us. That's the space where we create meaning. So I, I, I want you to talk some about your work, how you hold cultural work and why or how it helps us create new paradigms, new worlds, new social contracts. Like how do you hold the importance of cultural work? Mm -hmm. I grew up my, when I was four years old, my grandmother put me, my three brothers, my three cousins in the music school. And um, culture is more than music, of course, but the reason that I'm pretty much, and this is distilled down to a fundamental level, the reason that I'm pretty much good at anything is because I spent all of my childhood being a musician. Mm -hmm. And most of what I'm able to gather about myself, I learned by being a part of a band or a chamber music group or you know, I was I was a nerd, you know, so I was in <laughs> classical chamber music group. You know what, what I'm saying? What you play? What you play? You got to I me. played flute. My first was flute. <laughs> then it was saxophone. Then it was clarinet. You know, then I, I got to cool guy with saxophone, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and drums. And, you know, you grow up in church, so you learn mm -hmm. about improvisation. I'm learning how to read That's music. Right. And, and so I'm bringing this stuff up because the it was already in me right to to understand and know the importance of culture in the creation of community and the creation and the creation of movement through culture and through music particularly is how you understand cadence how you understand decadence right decadence right how you understand um uh what is it crescendo how you understand the you know long movements movement um 
absolutely um harmony and disharmony mm -hmm. and the and the importance of discord mm -hmm. right all of these things right and so i brought that and i didn't know it until i was able to you know go to therapy and sit in, in the house by myself and think about all this <laughs> stuff but you know so for me i came into movement with this rich cultural background and understanding at least in the music part of culture so to me the importance of culture um, within movement is almost everything. And this is based on a scientific understanding of what culture is. Mm -hmm. There are ideas and values, principles, right? I, I look at them as maybe the top or the bedrock, whatever you want to do. Culture is the manifestation of those ideas and mm -hmm. principles and values. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, we value individual, you know, they value rugged individualism. They value the dollar. They value men. They value mm -hmm. domination, conquest, exploitation, right? And then the culture, the music, the language, the way we walk, the way we dress, the way we bank, the way we worship manifests those things, right? So I understand it really scientifically. And so if you, if you approach culture with that understanding, then you would know in movement, culture is the most almost the most important thing because it is do you really believe what you say so if we say our values are collectivism our values are a radical reimagining of gender mm -hmm. a radical reimagining of leadership our values are power mm -hmm. right maybe maybe a different understanding but we value power how does our culture reflect those things and so when I think of cultural work, I, I understand and I actually honor the the um, rich tradition of um, when people talk about cultural workers, people who bring music, bring dance, bring food, bring language, bring um, clothing, etc., to bear in order to advance our movement work. To me. That is what most people understand as cultural work. And I understand it to be that. And I understand it. I lionize it. I think it's incredible work. And I think cultural work is also how you build your organization and how it reflects your values. Right. And so there's a lot of cultural work that we have to do. I think we always say cultural work and we're like, oh, yeah, you want a dancer? We could get a dancer here, <laughs> you know, you know, or we yeah, we should get a poet. We should get a poet to write our script because right. that's cultural work. But cultural work to me is a holistic. It's far yes. more yes. holistic in everything we do. If we're anti-capitalist, we either have to create a culture within our organizations of anti-capitalism or own the contradictions. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Or own the contradictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to maybe that other thread, the dominant understanding of, of cultural work, I do want to go star it and, and say that our movement doesn't sing much. The 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 movement, the, the main, you know, we don't sing much anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a specific thing that has... Uh, Dream Defenders used to do it. I wrote I wrote a song for Dream Defenders, not to toot my own horn, but it was like when I wrote it, it wasn't like, oh, Phil wrote a song. It was like, oh, yeah, we needed another song. Like we had we, we've been singing these five, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, our movement. Man, I don't know why I feel emotional about it, but our movement. is justifiably angry. 
um, justifiably tired, justifiably just wants to fuck shit up, you know, in, in a lot of ways because it needs to be. And I think we threw out some of the things from the civil rights movement because we said, oh, we don't do that church stuff no more. Right. Um, or, you know, that's that's how they did things. We're a new generation. And I, I bang with that. But I don't know, man. It's something when you're in a in a group, in a big group, and y'all are singing. It doesn't have to be We Shall Overcome. But I, th- I think a movement that doesn't sing, that doesn't dance, that doesn't... And I'm not saying that's e- everywhere and everybody, but... You don't learn songs when you come to your first uh, uh, meeting for an organization. You know, you you learn the chant maybe or you learn other things. And I think that is missing. I I feel so connected to that. I mean, when I talk about embodiment work, I'm actually talking about part of it is culture because culture is at its best a place to tend to the collective embodiment how we move things through the collective, how we express ourselves, the range at which we communicate as a people gets kind of developed in the cultural space. And all those things you were talking about in terms of what you learned from music training, to me, that's about what you're then able to embody. If I know, you know, harmony, I feel harmony. When somebody's singing harmony, I feel harmony inside of me. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And if I know the feeling of harmony inside of me, then it's something I can create, too, in in a whole lot of different ways. My body has that memory of what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's what embodiment work at its best, at its highest. It's just another way to talk about how we tend to the bodies and how we tend to the creation of culture and ritual and practice. I, I just think it's it's what you're saying about it being almost everything. It's like it's it's all the connective stuff. And when we don't have that together, the things that can seep in. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Things that can seep in that are unconscious and misaligned mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. where we're going. So, um, and it's disharmony. Yes. It's disharmony. Yes. And you your body remembers that too. Your ears, your ears, Come your on. ear. I went to a mean church, yo. When somebody hey. couldn't sing. They could when they couldn't sing, <laughs> you know, people be like, Oh, God is good, you know. But you you know, the musicians be like Yeah. You yeah. Know, but your your body also remembers that disharmony and when you go into an organization or you go into a movement, you go and people wonder why they don't retain people. It's not about being agreeable. Mm. Hmm. It's not about being agreeable. It's not about that. It's not about being liberal or group thing. It's about when somebody comes into your movement, into your group, into your organization, do they feel that there is a, a music being made, you know, hmm. and you know it when it's not. You just hmm. know it when it's not. And, and, and you know it. You know when people say this is what we are and then you, you're in it for one day and you're like, nah, culture yep. It's not the culture. It just, you know, it it keeps hitting me lately. And I I think there's something to explore there for me. I'm just like the way that rhythm has been extracted from everything, from our daily lives. I see it as a practitioner working with people's bodies. I'm like, there's a rhythm Mm -hmm. to life. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that we're reintroducing the possibility of, of rhythm, of movement back into your body. But it's kind of what you're saying the pillars the way things get created if you extract the rhythmic quality you're left with mechanization 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. everything's ashy yeah. and dry. It's like it's it's mechanical. It's machines, and so this this lubricating rhythmic quality is the is the connector. It's what brings us together. Is how we communicate with one another. Where we find each other. How I know where you're really at. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. You got me thinking I'm doing cultural work right now, which I haven't actually identified <laughs> as, but now I'm like, hmm. you are, you are, you are. Um, what does a body that is misaligned feel like? You know, like I know what a chiropractor, I got homies, chiropractors, <laughs> boom, 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 not, 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 not. But spiritually hmm. uh, misaligned, what is that? How does that, how do you uh, identify it? Am I asking the right question? Am I, am Are you I asking under- a question? I, I, okay. under- I understand it to a degree. I think where I pause is that everything manifests differently in everybody. I look, you know, when I work with people or I'm looking at people or I'm touching people, it's, uh, it's something that's pre-verbal for me. It's almost like a painting. If I touch somebody's skin, I can feel how the blood moves through the body, how taut things are, the kind of tissues and fascia underneath the skin. Um, I can feel how breath moves through certain places and doesn't enter others. It's a, it's like a mood painting feeling place that I think is that creative place. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. it's prejudging it, pre-telling a story. It's like, oh, this is the organizing principle or this is the logic of this body. So it feels a million different ways, but it feels like mostly like places where we prevent breath from going, places where we limit the way blood moves, places where we have vacated parts of our bodies. It feels like like that. It's a beautiful thing to me to be able to work with somebody and see, you know? Yes. I I know. I don't know. I know what you're telling me and I can feel what you're telling me. You know, that... That is a gift. That's a gift. I didn't I didn't even know to, to that degree <laughs> that you could do that, you know, you particularly or anybody else, really. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard thing to convey. I, I've always when I was a kid. I used to give my grandma massages and I could feel stories in my hands. So it's kind of like that. <laughs> so it's a weird thing to describe. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. for asking, though. I think we're all in many ways healing from are trying to heal from through our individual, our collective healing work through organizing. We're trying to heal from the impacts of racialized violence on our communities and also the impact of patriarchy on all of us. And so I'm wondering for you, what are your thoughts on, one, on how you, it sounds like it's kind of embedded in what you're doing, but what does it take to heal from your vantage point, maybe as a as a cis straight man, black man, what does it take to heal from the impacts of this kind of patriarchy that has been handed to you? And then what what is opening up or what do you think it what are the capacities that you then have access to on the other side of it? The process of helping to build this organization is my healing. I mean People will say to heal, you've got to acknowledge that there is a trauma, that you are programmed, that you are in many ways a victim of, you know, one of the largest propaganda projects known to man, 
or known to people. <laughs> right. There it is right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there it is right there. Um, known to people, to humankind. Right. That it is unnatural. Mm. And in many of the ways that you have become as a as a man are unnatural to you. And that that has been a liberating experience for me. And then there's the deeper things that are harder to do that you, you go to therapy for. And that program, as you said about the body, that program creates different fissures in different people. So my shit, yeah, yeah. the program is the same, but my, my stuff about sex and, mm-hmm. you know, porn and mm-hmm. guilt about sex and shame about sex you know another cat might not have that but you might have another thing but you i think brothers we've got to get to a place where we begin to at least understand those things the thing for me with healing too is you know there's there's some things that you've healed from that you're going to always have a scar that's right and um to me that's a little bit because i I, i've sat down and been like man i don't know you know i don't i don't know if i'm gonna you know, my mind is going to ever be able to switch off of some of these things. Um, but I think when you realize that even even through healing, it leaves a scar that you that you always see that you always recognize. But, you know, the wound, you know, the wound isn't gaping. It isn't open. It isn't infected. It isn't infecting other people is a, is something. And so for me, um, he- healing looks like the acknowledgement, the facing it, the facing it. And honestly, it's therapy. Um, so this person has to listen to you, but the saying it, the saying it, the yeah. the seeing it in your mind and then saying it out of your mouth. Hey, I have an issue with, you know, I think sex is like a, a, a decider if like I'm a strong dude, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and and saying it amongst men is the most crazy thing. You know, we had a circle a few weeks ago where guys just talked about that and mm. It was crazy. It really was crazy. It was people was just like, yeah, I think I do that, too. You know, and and, and so that's a part of it. And then you got to really you got to you got to (laughs) stop. You know, you got (laughs) to that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's also the hard thing. It's like you got to build in new ways of being. That's right. And um, and stick with them. And don't be too hard on yourself when you slip mm-hmm. up once. But if you've created another pattern, you've mm-hmm. got to identify it. And so for me, that is what the healing process has been about for me. Um, and not to even just go all on sex. I mean, love, you know, love and relationships, you know, truthfulness, honesty, vulnerability, intimacy are struggles for all of us. And I think for men in particular, you know, we grow up understanding that our currency is in secrets uh-huh. mm, mm, mm. and um we accrue power by how much mm. we um mislead people frankly yeah and um tearing that down is, is a hard thing because you're left with you're left with you know no currency of note that you've you've learned so yeah yeah mm. um i I hope that we all continue to go into the places, into ourselves, into the stories, into the beliefs, um, the hard places, and trouble the waters there and listen and bring love, and that feels like the work. So um, I'm grateful to you, Phil, for 
being in those places and I'm grateful that you're willing to share in the way you do in the way that both implicates and reveals yourself and your love and all of this so grateful to you thank you thank you mm-hmm. finding our way is co-produced and edited by eddie hemphill co-production and visual design by devin delania assistant editing by amy pinion please make sure to rate subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast you can also find us on instagram at finding our way podcast or email us with questions suggestions or feedback at findingourwaypod at gmail.com. You can also help sustain the podcast by becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. You can find us on Patreon at Finding Our Way Podcast. Thank you for listening to Finding Our Way. Finding Our Way.